Hello and welcome to Embrace Relief with Chelsea Winterholler. I am a certified life coach who helps moms embrace the relief that comes from finding emotional freedom around your child's future. I have had a child die, I have a child who experiences anxiety, and I have a child who lives with a life-threatening allergy. And I used to go at facing it all alone. The worry and fear completely consumed me until I found a life coach who would help me process all of the emotions that I was having about my children's futures. I am so excited to help you on this journey and watch you in turn help your kids. I am excited today to introduce you to one of my friends, Jen Schneider. Jen and I, how long have we known each other? Jen, I probably... We met on, let's see, the boys did that field trip. Um, was that kindergarten? Kindergarten. Yeah, it was probably, yep, their yeah. kindergarten field trip so out to the pumpkin patch. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we've known each other about five years. And as I met Jen the first time, I could just kind of feel her love and her welcoming spirit. And I immediately knew that she was just awesome at supporting the people around her. And so I'm getting teary eyed. I must really believe this. <laughs> um. So, so as I've, as I've come to know her, I've learned of Jen's awesome service in the community and, um, her occupation that she has now. And we're going to talk about all of that. Um, but I did want to start with one of the reasons I love Jen in the first place is because she even loves strangers. Um, my son, as all of my listeners know, has a severe peanut allergy and the first day of school, we're crazy right? We're going all out, making sure everyone in the class knows that my son has this allergy and we send home papers to everyone and we just cross our fingers and pray that the parents read it and that they actually care about my child that has a peanut allergy and that they're not bringing treats into the class and things such as that. So um, not long into school, my son and Lawson became really good friends and they were out on the playground and Myers's face started getting all swollen and Lawson cute little kindergarten Lawson ran up to my son and said Myers do you feel okay what's wrong with your face something's wrong with your face and my Myers denied it and said I am fine nothing is wrong and Lawson, because his mom had taught him, which I did not ask parents to teach their kids about the symptoms of anaphylaxis, but Jen had taken the time to actually talk to Lawson and teach him what the symptoms looked like. And Lawson looked at Myers and said, I don't believe you, Myers. And he ran and went and got a teacher and he 
truly saved my son's life. And it's always just been such a testament to me of the goodness of humans, but also the goodness of a complete stranger that um, she would care enough about someone to teach her six-year-old son that if their face is swollen, he needs help. Um, so I am so grateful in it. I'm just so grateful for Jen and for Lawson in our lives. And I'm so excited for each of you, each of my listeners to learn a little bit from Jen about how to lift and support those around you. So now Jen's crying too. You're welcome. I know. <laughs> I can't help it. Every time I see a post about how well he's doing or that situation or anything, it's, I mean, I... I think it's so sweet that you see it in that light. Um, I certainly don't feel like I did anything above and beyond. I mean, I honestly do feel like it was just, it was totally a God thing. The way that it kind of unfolded that Lawson and I talked about what it looked like a long time before Myers had that reaction. And that Lawson even retained that information as a six-year-old. <laughs> I just think was, um, it was miraculous. And I, I love it. And I love that it created a connection between us. And I'm very thankful for that. Me too. And God just has his hand in all things and especially in our individual lives and your actions, right? I believe he influenced both of you so much during that time. So, okay. That's how I know Jen. If you're not crying yet, we'll see if we can get you to later in the episode. <laughs> But Jen, tell us a little bit about you. Oof, about me. Okay. Um, let's see. So I born and raised in Billings. Um, I'm just kind of a Montana girl at heart. I think that you know when you do those like introductions when you're in a group of people that don't know you, Bible studies or whatever. Um, I always kind of try to throw those funny unexpected things because I think um like appearance wise I think I'm a normal kind of girly girl I like to do my hair I like to do my makeup that kind of stuff um but I am a bow hunter and I have shot two black bear with my bow wow <laughs> and I think that's always one of those fun things that I think is an unexpected part of who I am that um, it really is a part of who I am. I grew up doing it. I did it with my dad, that kind of a thing. So um, I love, I think I'm a jack of all trades kind of person. I, <laughs> I'm not afraid of um, power tool. I like baking and building things probably equally. And so that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, and that is um, rare. That is rare. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, I, yeah, trying new things is definitely something that we aren't afraid of in our house. Um, recently, we have some friends who have a wake surfing boat, and we have all learned how to wake surf. So I think especially as Montanans, that's like a fun skill that we can all be very proud of. <laughs> yes, it is. And your kids hunt too, right? Yeah, well, Beckett is the only one old enough to at this point, okay. and he is gung-ho about it. Yes, Beckett loves it. Um, Lawson is more into fishing than hunting at this point, which is totally fine by me. 
um, Chris was kind of the fisherman when we came into relationship together. So um, we both have shared our hobbies with each other, but I think you like one over the other, no matter how you (laughs) you do it. Okay. So two boys and one little girl, right? Yes, absolutely. Again, unexpected. (laughs) It was one of those things that, you know, we always said we wanted two kids and that was going to be what it was going to be. And we were actually told um, when I had, so we never thought we wanted to find out what we were having when we were pregnant. Mm -hmm. And we were told um, that Beckett was going to be a girl. And it was just one of those, like all of a sudden, as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I wanted to plan all the things and paint the nursery and like, have it all done and be really prepared and so I was like I really want to find out what we're having and so I talked to Chris into it and we were told that it was a baby girl and I had a pink nursery and we had three baby girl baby showers and all the pink things oh my gosh <laughs> and he ended up being breech um and my doctor was like one of the oldest doctors in billing Dr. Ezel he had delivered like the most doctors in, or the most babies in Yellowstone County, I think for a long time, he held that record. And he did my ultrasound and told us that it was a girl. And then um, well, I could not get that baby to flip over because I had all these plans for this natural delivery and all the things and it just wasn't happening. And so I said, can I at least go into labor on my own? And he's like, well, sure, I suppose that's fine. And so I went into labor, my water broke and we went to the hospital and he wasn't on call that night, but he said, if you end up going into labor, please make sure they call me. So I did. And he ended up doing the C-section. And <laughs> I remember looking up at Chris, Chris had watched the whole C-section and I looked up at him and he goes, uh, I hear Dr. Rizal say, this baby had a sex change in utero. And I all, like the first thing I thought of was our pink nursery. And I was like, how does that happen? And I looked at Chris and he goes, it's a boy. Oh, <laughs> like <God>. what? <laughs> I mean, this is twelve, almost thirteen years ago. Like this is new technology. There's how does yes. that even happen this day oh, and age? That it was mind boggling. So we had an almost ten pound baby boy that our seven pound baby girl turned into a ten pound baby boy. Wow. And so I think that that experience was it was really interesting for me because what I did in my head during the pregnancy was prepare for a baby girl and her name was going to be Logan and she was gonna you know be all these things because you just build that person in your mind which was the reason I wasn't going to find out to begin with and I think that God used that in me to sort of remind me (laughs) that I don't I don't know the things and I can't plan the things and he's the one in control of all of it. And so um, there was a bit of mourning that happened. It was very interesting because, and I don't say this lightly because I, I know that I know people that have lost babies, but I do feel like, I felt like I lost his twin. I felt like I was home with a baby that I was thrilled to have. And I was so happy, but the one that I made in my mind didn't come home with me. And that was such a bizarre experience. Yeah, so many times the things, if something happens different than we're expecting it, there is, there is mourning. And I'm sure you see that because um, you're a doula, right? Yeah. 
So do you, I'm sure you see that and you're able to now hold space for these women who go into their births expecting one thing and something else happens. And they have this idea of exactly how it's going to go. And sometimes expectations aren't met. Is that right? How, how do you handle it? That's always the case. (laughs) And so I think, um, yes. So as a doula, which I think a lot of people like the role of a doula in the birth is doula is actually the Greek word for servant, um, which I think is really cool because I think a lot of people see it as a role that um, you play a big part in the birth and you're helping with things. And um, it really is more of, like you said earlier, holding that space. You're involved in a lot of the preparatory work, but when the time comes, my hope and my goal for my clients is always that I have prepared them to be able to do this and know what they're capable of. And sometimes I have to remind them of that in the process. But really, I think almost everybody who goes through an unmedicated birth will look at me afterwards and go, I couldn't have done it without you. And I always laugh and say, you did. I didn't do this. (laughs) You did this. It wasn't me. I just had to remind you that you were capable of it and you could do it. And that is such the role of so many of us here on earth in general, like women in general, I feel that so much in all of my different callings in life that actually I, yeah, I'm, I was here, but like you did it. And we're just here to help each other support and show the people around us that they can actually do it. They have everything within themselves to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even I think about, you know, when you first asked me about being on this podcast, I was like, me? Hi. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't have anything, you know, special or particular to say. But I think even just in some of the discussion, I I do understand how a lot of women are not aware of this. And so if this could be helpful in showing women that yes, you can. Um and here's how, (laughs) then it's useful. So how do you mentally prepare a woman to go into a birth to maybe not have their expectations met fully or all of those emotions? What, what's kind of your process? Um, it's different for everybody because I think everybody, everybody wants something slightly different. Um, you know, not everybody wants a completely natural and unmedicated birth. There are plenty of clients that I have that are like, there's no metal for doing it without an epidural. I don't really care. (laughs) But I think what most people come down to is that you don't know what you don't know when it comes to birth. And we're so bad at sharing that knowledge. Um, We're good at sharing our experience, especially if it was a bad experience, the the trauma part of us needs to get that out. And so we have all heard horrible birth stories. And unfortunately, if you haven't had a birth before, those are the ones that stick in your head. And so a lot of our prep work has to do with birth references, um, whether it's 
stories that your mom told you about your birth or um, grandparents or sometimes our birth references come from movies. Sometimes dad has bizarre birth references because of his parents or family members or um, but they're almost always filtered through some sort of trauma and fear that we have surrounding this sort of supernatural phenomenal experience that's very private <laughs> that we don't get to yeah that we don't get to experience so kind of working through some of those references is the first point and then that will uncover fear usually um, if there's a fear of you know some sometimes it's as simple as just the fear of the pain of it because you know painful and it sounds awful and that was you know we all get to thank Eve for that when we get to <laughs> heaven <laughs> um but sometimes it goes as deep as you know fear of loss fear of you know am I gonna make it is this baby gonna make it things like that and those are hard things to unpack um but I think when we speak them that it changes that dynamic and when we can say what our fear is, we give it less power. And that's really important. Um, I tell clients a lot that I sometimes feel like this job should have come with a counseling degree <laughs> because <laughs> there can be a whole lot of stuff involved in there. Um, I One of my spiels is sort of that this is just as much an emotional process as it is a physical process. And if we don't work through some of that emotion before we get to the birth, it will come out and it could come out sideways if if we don't do the hard work of, you know, confronting what issues we have. And sometimes it's fear and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a relational issue, um, sometimes with the dad, sometimes not, sometimes with a mom. You know, sometimes women are afraid of being the same kind of mom that their mom was and if that was a bad experience or I, there's all sorts of things that can come out it's a very interesting process yeah what I love that and I know I'm taking this um this event of birth and relating it to our whole life experience but what a beautiful thought that like this life is just as much an emotional process as it is us walking through it day to day physically. Yeah. I mean, having just that, like you said, when, when they speak their fears, it takes a little bit of it away. And it's so true anytime. And even if you're not speaking it to another person, if you're actually speaking it to a journal, if you're getting it out of your brain and out of your body, there is so much power there in the awareness that it brings that like, this is a reality for me. And it's okay that it is. Absolutely. Yes, but absolutely. Because there are very real risks involved in some of these things. And I mean, even in an uncomplicated birth, there can be unforeseen situations. And I think that um, I had that discussion with Chris too. So my first birth experience personally was that C-section. And then um, I had Lawson, our second, he was born um, still in the hospital, but I was able to have a vaginal delivery called a after cesarean called a VBAC. Um, and it was such an empowering experience to go from something that I felt like I had no control over that that experience was sort of ripped from me um, in that 
they used to deliver babies breech <laughs> and it used to be, you know, that used to be fairly common, but then understanding the risks involved, I knew that a C-section was the safest option for us at that point. And then after finding out he was a 10 pound baby, it was a really good choice. <laughs> um, but then Lawson being born vaginally, I, it was, a, it was a very difficult labor. Um, it was a long labor. I had an epidural after 24 hours of labor and I finished and still felt so good about it. And I looked at Chris and I was like, I understand why people need doulas now. <laughs> and he was, he goes, why? And I said, I love you and you're amazing, but you had no idea how to help me in that because you'd never experienced it before. We had taken the classes, we, you know, had done the things, but he didn't know what to do and no one was there to help me. And so I thought, okay, this feels great to have done it the way that I wanted to do it, even though there was the concession of an epidural in there, I felt like I used that as the tool that I needed at the time that I needed it to achieve the result that I wanted. And so that is the expectation that I sort of try to set up or help people start to set up when they're looking at their birth process is that we want, we have a goal, we want what we want, and sometimes things will come up. And so as long as you feel like you understand your choices and you can make the choice in the process, sometimes that's the difference between it being trauma and it being empowering. For sure. Getting like getting the clarity beforehand mm -hmm. and just knowing that going in is so helpful. Having that clear brain so that even when those bumps come, you can take a breath. Yes. And make absolutely. a choice. Yes, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of um, education that's afraid of talking through the scary things because we think if we, you know, plant that seed of, you know, we could have a, a hemorrhage afterwards. You know, we don't want to talk about that because that's really scary and we'll just deal with it when it comes. And I think that there's a lot of providers that do that too. They don't want to talk about the what ifs because we'll just handle it if it comes up. Well, that's hard because <laughs> I, I mean, while I do sort of understand that you don't want to plant the seed that, oh, this is going to happen to me, um, knowing what's possible and knowing how it would be handled in the situation changes the dynamic completely. So with our third, so after two kids, I decided I'm going to do this. I'm going to help women do this. I'm going to be a doula. So I became a doula after Lawson was born. Um, and I remember <laughs> I was the queen of like, join all the multi-level marketing schemes, you know, make all the money, be the wife at home and do all the things. So I had done like Mary Kay, Rodan and Fields. I think I had done all of them. And so every time I talked to Chris, he was so sweet about it. Right. <laughs> and he was like, okay, honey, you know, you know, as long as it works, if it's what you want to do. And I always made my money back doing the things, but then it just sort of fizzled. Yeah. I didn't love it. It wasn't, you know, your thing. So when I talked to him about doing the doula training and becoming a doula, I'm just like, I'm bawling. I think we were having like mud pie at Red Robin. We went on like a little mini date to talk about this. And I am like, pouring my heart out because I know that this is what I want to help women do. And he was so sweet. I think he looked across the table and he goes, sweetheart, I don't care if you ever make a dime doing this, you need to, it's obviously going to change your life 
and you will love it and you will be amazing at it. So yeah, do it. <laughs> I was like, okay, oh, right sure. like he could see it was your calling. He knew, yeah, he knew. And so um I had been doing it and I loved it. And I had seen several women do unmedicated deliveries, and I thought, man. I feel like I really want to do that. And, you know, we never got that little girl. <laughs> and so I proposed the idea to Mr. Two Kids, you know, and that's it. <laughs> and it didn't take much convincing because I think he, you know, we both kind of, we just thought that little girl was waiting in the wings for us. And then, you know, once you decide to have another, I was really resolved to, I'm probably going to be a boy mom. That's going to be how this is going to go. I'm going to have to, you know, teach other women how to do the makeup and false lashes because I won't get to do that with my daughter. And um, so we got pregnant, uh, decided to do a home birth uh, with one of the um, midwives that was actually, that helped train me as a doula. Um, and she was incredible. And I think one of the preparation moments for Chris in that process was talking about all the what ifs, because he's totally a what if guy. And so that was a cool experience to see personally that I hadn't seen anyone walk through with a provider that I think helped me be a better doula is that instead of considering this, you know, ocean of possibilities that, oh my gosh, all the things that could go wrong, we really were able to narrow it down to him. Like, you know, most of those things don't apply to me. So here are the things that could actually happen. And here's how we would handle them. And lo and behold, one of them happened. <laughs> and it was just kind of, I mean, it was a beautiful birth experience. It was my favorite birth experience. It was very calm. Um, both of the boys were there. It was, it was amazing. And then my placenta didn't want to come out. <laughs> so it got a little hairy scary for a minute. There were some blood clots, there were some things. And I remembered Chris looked at the midwife because we were very clear, like he was going to be the scared person at this moment. <laughs> and she said, we're still okay. We're not scared yet. And he goes, okay. She's like, but I'm going to have to get it out. And so she actually had to like manually retrieve the placenta. So my doula was there and um, she was holding Callister and it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. And I said, Trisha, I need a break. And she said, I can't give you a break. And I said, then somebody needs to pray. Oh. <laughs> so she prayed and she said, in the name of Jesus, I pray that this placenta release. And then later she told me, Jen, I said that and it fell in my hand. She said it, it was the most incredible thing I've ever seen happen. I don't, she said, I can't explain it. I don't know. Um, but I, God was a part of this and that's your story. And that's part of McAllister's story and that's what we're doing. And so it was really amazing to see something that um, Chris was really nervous about that could have really changed that experience to become part of kind of our inspiration for, you know, why we love home birth and Trisha and <laughs> why I do what I do. 
Yes. And you had that support system, not only in your husband, but in everyone that was there with you. That's so, so beautiful, including God. So glad he yeah. was there with you, with you. Man. In <laughs> yeah. And it definitely, you have had every birth experience. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you really have. So who better to be able to walk, you know, walk these women through that. That is so wonderful. So after you help someone through a birth, do you, um, crash? Like, I'm just so curious about this because after a mother gives birth, the emotions and the physical, everything you do, you crash. So you being the, the person who's preparing and being the hold space, the space holder while you are there, what happens after birth for you? How do you handle it? I loved that question that I saw in the preparation. Cause I thought, man, I don't get asked that very often. And I think it's really funny. So I, um, it depends is quite frankly the answer <laughs> sometimes um it's a if it's a particularly difficult birth um there can be a crash afterwards i actually told chris the other day that it feels almost like uh ptsd like I just walked through this experience with somebody that was very difficult and um, it wasn't the outcome that we had wanted or planned for. And we did our best to adjust to those things and we made good choices at the end of it, but some things are just beyond your control. And so you kind of trudge through this and you're carrying this couple's emotions and you watch this experience sort of unfold for them and then yeah I think that particular one I was done at like six or seven in the morning and so I came home and the kids were getting ready for school and I was just expected to jump back into life and I looked at Chris and I just started sobbing and I was like I can't do this right now I need a like I have to debrief this with somebody this is really hard and so um, I have backup doula or my midwife friend that they will talk me through things like that. And so um, difficult experiences require that debrief where you have to be able to unload that with somebody. Um, and it's, it's difficult in a birth thing because so many of those details are personal to the couple. And so it's not something that I can just, you know, share with any friend <laughs> so it really has to be a trusted birth professional um so that's important but then there's also times where it, there aren't very many of those experiences most experiences are great and chris has said like when you come back from a birth you are like glowing you can see like how much you love doing that and how that experience just lights you up and it does I really feel like I like my kids more <laughs> you like you have this renewed sense of their miraculousness after seeing a baby come into the world it's incredible that is so awesome I love um that you are like you know what it's different every time and we just hold space for both like you almost can't anticipate 
what's going to happen after the fact, because it's never the same, but yeah. it's totally okay that when it is heavy and when it is hard to take that step away and debrief and breathe and collect yourself again versus the other times that sometimes you feel renewed and rejuvenated and excited to do it again. Yes. And so often I think we, we anticipate beforehand, oh, this is going to be hard. This is going to be terrible. Um, or it's going to be wonderful, but actually just allowing yourself to like come home and go like, okay, how am I feeling right now? Do I right. need to break down or yep, I need a good cry? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and we, as women don't allow that as much as I would like to see us do, especially as we hold this role of supporting. So yeah people around us so that was such a beautiful like encapsulated like I don't know how I'm gonna feel but there's options and you just feel whichever one is there right then that's so true yes that's so true and I'm so thankful I think that um Chris understands that and I've been doing it for eight years now and so while it used to feel like oh it was gonna look like this now he's on the same page where he's like, I don't, what's, what's it going to be like? Are you going to be okay? Are you going to need a nap? You want to jump right in? What do you want to do? <laughs> so and it does make really... a big difference when the people around us start to learn that like, no, we do need to express our emotion. And some days it's way different than others, other days. Yeah. And having people that are willing to go like, what is today? Like, yes. It's so great. And being that person, like I don't even hold space for people in my life as well as I could to be that yeah. like, Hey, six-year-old, 10-year-old throwing a giant fit. <laughs> like typically I'm like, no, no, we don't right. do this. Yes. Then like, tell me what, right. where are you right now? What's going yes. on right now? How do you need to recover from the big day at the water slides yesterday or the fight you just got in with your sibling? Yeah. Oh, that's so true. And as we're embarking on the teenage years with my oldest, I've definitely been hyper aware of this just because that is, there's so much emotion there and so much, you know, middle school's difficult for him. And I think, well, I think it's difficult for everybody, <laughs> but middle school's rough. <laughs> giving him the space to go, you know, you don't seem like yourself lately. Are you holding on to something that you shouldn't be or where are you at? What are we, yes. what are we doing right now? <laughs> yeah, that's something that I love with my coaching is like so many women are like, but how do I help my kids? Mm. And it's so beautiful to like, it can be simple. It can be like, you don't have to fix this for them because yeah. they're just a human here having their experience. So you just listen and allow and acknowledge and be there. That's yeah. it. I mean, I can get into much more great tool belt details, but that's what it comes down to yeah. is just be there. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes it's that. Yeah. I mean, I think we keep saying it, but holding the space for them. And I think that I have probably learned more skills about parenting through being a doula than I ever thought would be connected, <laughs> but it's true. It's so amazing as uh, the Lord takes us different directions in our lives. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, well, I did this for them and this for them and this for them. I'm like, this is all for me. Who am I fooling? <laughs> I'm 
know what I'm learning. Like, yes, we're supporting and connecting and loving. Yeah. Like, I am the one who just is learning and growing so much from any venture that I take on. So it totally makes sense that being a doula would help you with your 14 year old. Absolutely. (laughs) So um, who in your life, is there anyone in your life that you feel like has really shaped you or shaped this part of you? Or is it just that you were drawn that way because of you and God? Like what, what is it for you? You know, um, I don't know that question. Um, I have to think that, so my mom was a hairdresser and when we were growing up, she did it mostly at the kitchen table. And so a lot of my like young memories were just, I mean, and it's funny because I think she is a hairdresser and she's good at what she does. She cuts hair. She permed hair. She was like the eighties perm queen, (laughs) but what she loves about what she does is the connections that she makes with people. And I think that that is probably a lot of what shaped how I understand how to connect people, how to, um, ask genuine questions and give someone your full attention, that sort of thing. I think that's a lost art these days, especially, (laughs) but I would say that my mom is really, really good at, um, connecting and, um, just kind of being that genuine person, trusting personality. And so I, Not only do I look like her, but I think I probably got that, (laughs) got that from her too. That is so beautiful because you're not like someone sat down and taught me this, taught me how to connect. It was just like the example and the genuine, like you said, genuine interactions that you witnessed. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I thrive on connection every, I'm like you, you know, I'm like, oh, and people are always like, why do you do so many things? You know, I'm a coach and I'm a photographer and I'm a hairdresser. And I'm like, well, I just really like people. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I find the ways to connect with the people. That's it. Yes. And, but it's so powerful. That's why we're here, you know, to, to connect and lift and, let other people lift us for sure. So I love that. It's oh. the good stuff in life. I think that's, that's what I'm learning is that it's funny because um, <laughs> I started, I tore my knee in high school and that kind of ended my high school sports career, which was devastating at the time. But um, I was like, well, if I can't play sports, I guess I'll get a job. So <laughs> I decided that retail was where it was for me. And so I worked retail all the way up until Lawson was born from high school all the way through. I sold, um, I worked at Best Buy for a long time. Um, I worked at the Harley Davidson. I ran their general merchandise department. um, And then I sold mattresses. And none of those things were like what I loved selling necessarily. I mean, the Harley stuff was definitely more fun than the other two. (laughs) But it was always about connections. It was always just those minuscule moments where the most fulfilling part of your day was somebody came in to find something, you figured out what they really needed because oftentimes what they were asking for wasn't what they actually needed. And so it was so fulfilling to find them what they needed and then 
you know, send them on their way. You never saw those people again. <laughs> there wasn't a lasting connection there, but they were very rewarding. That's so beautiful that you have the ability to pour your heart in to something that you know is not, it's not a lasting connection. They're buying one thing from you and leaving. But that's what's so amazing about you, Jen, is that you're like, I don't care if I'm only going to know them for 10 minutes or three hours. Like, I can get fulfilled and I can help them feel fulfilled just through this moment of connection that we have together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that um, we can't see it all. We don't see the big picture, but God definitely does. And I think that he uses all of those moments every time we get to touch somebody's life. Um, If we use that connection, we use the skills that he gave us. He will use them. We don't have to. That is so, so beautiful. Jen, I am just so glad that we talked today. This was beautiful. I cried a couple times and I thought of multiple people of my listeners that I know are going to find strength from you, even over a podcast. It's a, isn't it awesome? That's great. You'll never meet these people. They talk to you for 35 minutes. They listen to you for 35 minutes and there's connection there. So you fun. create that. You really do create it in every area of your life. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jen. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Chelsea. If you are learning from and enjoying this podcast, go to my website and book a mini consultation session at winterhollercoaching.com. You can also give me a shout out on your favorite podcast app or simply recommend this to a friend. Find me on Instagram at Winter Holler Coaching. Thanks for joining me today. I will see you next week. <music>